Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey, before we start the show today, I want to tell you about something brand new we're launching with our friends at Apple Podcasts called The Ongoing History of New Music Unlimited. For $3.49 a month, $3.49, which is less than the price of your morning coffee, you can now get access to the full archive of our shows ad-free. Plus, you'll get brand new episodes two days early and special bonus episodes. It's Ongoing History Unlimited, and it's available right now only on Apple Podcasts. Back in 2014, I was invited to the Foo Fighters headquarters. This is 606 Studios, the band's hangout and nerve center in Van Nuys, California. I was there to talk about the new album and TV series, Sonic Highways. I got there early, before anybody else from the band arrived, and the first to roll up was Taylor Hawkins. He was driving the same beat-up 1986 Toyota 4x4 pickup truck that he bought for $400 when he was in high school. Oh, sure, he could have taken his other vehicle, which was a 2005 Subaru Baja. Not a very rock star ride, I said to him when he got out. Taylor smiled, well, of course he smiled, and said, hey, he gets the job done. Taylor was never much for the trappings of rock stardom. Here's a quote. If you want to play music, play because you want to play music, not because you want to be rich and famous. We went inside where I noticed a poster on the wall for an obscure solo album by Queen drummer Roger Taylor. It was a 1981 release entitled Fun in Space. What was that doing here? That's when Taylor came alive. That's Roger Taylor, man. He's my favorite drummer ever. Queen was my first concert, and I've always been a fan. I mean, just the way he plays. And that's how the conversation went until everyone else arrived and we had to start the interview. But during those 15 or 20 minutes, Taylor made me feel at home, a welcome guest in this sacred and very private Foo Fighters space. And I forgot I was talking to the drummer of one of the biggest bands on the planet. He was just this goofy, fun surfer dude who wanted to talk about the music he loved. I think he even went out and made me an espresso. That's what I thought of when I heard that Taylor had died. He wasn't just the Foo's drummer and a beloved member of the band. He was a nice, normal guy who wanted to do nothing more than be a dad and play rock and roll. Let's spend some time remembering Taylor Hawkins. This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. This is for March 20th, 2022. The Foo Fighters at Lollapalooza in Buenos Aires. That's Taylor Hawkins' last performance. That's Taylor Hawkins stepping out from behind the drum kit, as he often did, to sing something for the Foo Fighters. And in this case, as he did many times, he dared to tackle Freddie Mercury. <laughs> really, really bold. Queen was his all-time favorite band. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and I really wish I didn't have to do this show, but here we are. Once again, one of our favorite musicians has been taken away from us far too soon. Now, I can hear some people saying, why are you talking about a guy who worked for Dave Grohl? Well, if that's you, then you're just not a Foo Fighters fan. You haven't been keeping up. So let me help you get caught up and explain why we're doing this. The Foo Fighters are obviously one of the biggest rock bands on the planet. And yes, this is Dave Grohl's band. 
Yes, he is the chief songwriter. Yes, he's the guy out front. But this group is what they are because of the personalities of the other people in the band. And next to Dave, Taylor was, I dare say, the most important, a fan favorite, beloved by fans. In a group led by a member of one of the most famous bands of the rock and roll era, Taylor could and was allowed to steal the show from the front man. And everybody was totally okay with that. Let's go through a list. First, Taylor was a great drummer. The Foo Fighters would not sound like they do with someone else keeping time. Dave, no slouch of course, was a hard hitter in the tradition of Led Zeppelin's John Bonham. Taylor could play just as hard, but his style brought in a few prog rock influences, something that gave the Foos something extra. Second, Taylor was Dave's best friend in the whole world. They were brothers from another mother. Dave has said that he'd take a bullet for Taylor. They did everything together. Taylor helped keep Dave grounded and vice versa. And if Dave is in a good place because of Taylor, well, then everything to do with Dave and the Food Fighters is just fine. Third, everybody respected Taylor. When he died, tributes came in from everyone from Ozzy Osbourne to Stevie Nicks to Travis Barker to Tom Morello to Liam Gallagher. And fourth, everyone just liked him. He had this image, which I can tell you from personal experience was very accurate. He was this fun, goofy, surfer dude-looking puppy dog of a person who was always, and I mean always, smiling. His enthusiasm was infectious, and he knew he'd won the lottery by landing a job in the Foo Fighters. I quote, If you get lucky like me, you may make a really good living, and that is luck and hard work. And all the hard work in the world does not mean it's necessarily going to happen either. In other words, he wasn't just some guy keeping time for some rock band. He was pretty special. He had a great life and a great career. And we need to remember that. Here's another vocal performance from Taylor. In 1999, while the Foos were working on the There Is Nothing Left to Lose album, they took some time to indulge in their love of classic rock by recording a cover of Pink Floyd's Have a Cigar from 1975. Taylor sings lead, and some of the guitar is provided by Brian May of Queen. Foo Fighters, covering Pink Floyd with Taylor Hawkins singing. Let's go through Taylor's life. He's a Texas boy, born in Fort Worth on February 17, 1972. His family moved to California when he was about four. In 1982, when he was 10, he attended his first concert, and that was Queen. And, and, and that was it for Taylor. I quote, After that concert, I didn't think I slept for three days. It changed everything. And I was never the same because of it. It was the beginning of my obsession with rock and roll, and I knew I wanted to be in a huge rock band. That was the year he also started playing drums, and he always gave credit to his mom for encouraging him to dream big. His first group was an Orange County outfit called Sylvia, and here he is, along with the rest of the group, talking about his early days. Hmm, you know, there wasn't really much of a scene of any sort where I lived. Everybody played reggae music. Which was where? Orange County, Laguna Beach, California. And everybody liked reggae. So hard rock was really frowned upon. You were a Hesher, you were from the Valley. You were not 
cool. You weren't a surfer. You, you, like, surfer. That's so weird. It is what it is, you know? <laughs> so my punk rock became Rush and Queen and stuff because I had to hide those records. From and my brother and his friends. And if stuff he like didn't that. listen to Level 42, he'd get his ass. Okay, it's not Level 42. It's like, a, like you know, like you know, like the '80s new wave and stuff. Which actually, I love all that stuff, and I and I liked all that. But I also liked you know, Rush and Queen and stuff because I did want to be the guy on the poster. <laughs> I did, you know. I mean, so I mean, there wasn't really much. So my bands were. No, I didn't really have, I had bands kind of, but like, you know, there are more bands that just played in garages that rarely ever played. I played in a cover band for a while, sort of. That's when I realized you could actually make money playing music. I got played a wedding and we didn't get paid. And my mom went down to the people, the guy that worked, <laughs> the guy who worked in We got our money. Amazing. So yeah. He mom got your money? Yeah, my mom got her money for us. But that was the first time I got paid to play music, I remember. <laughs> as a, as a, um, so I figured at best, you know. And L.A. was kind of close, you know, but it seemed so far away, you know. And it wasn't until when I got in high school I heard Jane's Addiction. And, and it was funny because up until then, all I was listening to was music from five or ten years before. Queen and Police and Zep, whatever, all that sort of classic rock and early new wave stuff or whatever. But, and then when I heard Jane's Addiction, cause I was really, it was all Warrant and all that kind of crap, you know, like whatever they call hair metal now, which was just like blah, blah music, you know? And then I heard Jane's Addiction and it was like dudes I could play, like the dudes in the poster, but they were a mess and they were disgusting and they were awesome and they were scary. And I just became a complete like, disciple of them same story i mean it's just that jane's is your punk rock yeah i guess so i guess they yeah i mean i went to john anson ford theater they did seven nights up here in in la and i was just like hey uh, perry farrell came out on stage with green dreadlocks and a woman's hat on and he told the first guy in the front row to the second he came out on stage i was like these guys are crazy (laughs) they were the best at that time for me so eventually he got a gig in the backup band for canadian singer sass jordan let's let taylor tell that story Hey, I got a friend here tonight. I'm going to tell you a quick story, okay? Back in 1994, I was working at this music store, and I met this guy, and he said, hey, you know, you're working at a music store. That's, that, is that what you want to do with your life? And I said, no, I want to be in a, in a big, rad rock band. So he said, well, I know this cool, cool chick, and she uh, is going on tour. She's going to Europe to open up for Aerosmith, and she's a uh, Canadian. He said, my name is, my name is Sass Jordan. I don't know, does anybody know who that is here? I think you do. Okay, well this, this woman took some dip like me, 22 year old, who didn't know a greenhorn, on the road, taught me how to be in a rock and roll band. She gave me my first rock and roll check, and check, not check, check. And, <laughs> and, uh, and tonight I get to play with her again. I've played with her a long time. Can you guys say hello, Sass Jordan? Say hi, Sass! Sass Jordan right now! This is like the third eye thing. Let me tell you, Sass. <laughs> yes, Dave. All roads lead to the Foo Fighters. 
So if it weren't for Sass Jordan, Tanner Rockets would have been in a bootlegger right now. Damn true. So everybody say, <laughs> thanks, Sass. <laughs> say that, or thanks, Sass. That Sass Jordan job morphed into a gig with Alanis Morissette after she blew up with her Jagged Little Pill album in 1995. If you saw her Can't Not tour, Taylor was the drummer. He was 23 at the time. He appeared in several videos, and when she made her debut on David Letterman in 1995, Taylor was in the band. We can see him on TV. Have a listen. During the time Taylor was Alanis Morissette's drummer, he kept crossing paths with the Foo Fighters, who were playing the same summer festivals, and they'd hook up backstage. He and Dave connected immediately. It got to the point where Alanis asked, when are you just going to quit and join the Foo Fighters? Which is exactly what happened. It turned out that Dave wasn't happy with his drummer, William Goldsmith. Things had not gone well during the recording sessions for the second Foo's album, The Color and the Shape. Dave even went in and re-recorded all of Goldsmith's parts. You can imagine how well that went over. So a change was needed. Dave called up Taylor and said, Hey, you know of anyone who I could hire to be the drummer for the Foo Fighters? And Taylor replied, Yeah, me. Oh, sure, Alanis is bigger than the Foo Fighters right now, but I want to be in a real band. I don't want to be in a group backing up a solo artist. So on March 18th, 1997, it was announced that Taylor was officially a Foo Fighter. Now, let's think about that for a second. Taylor jumped ship from playing for the biggest act in the world at the time to what was, let's be honest, an up-and-coming rock band featuring the drummer from Nirvana. <laughs> okay, no pressure. But by this time, Taylor and Dave had become such good friends that it just worked. Taylor also brought in a style that was different for the Foo Fighters. It's subtle, but if you take a critical listen, you can tell that Taylor was brought up on a certain type of prog rock. His heroes were Neil Peart of Rush, Stuart Copeland of The Police, and Phil Collins when he was with Genesis. Other influences include Stephen Perkins of Jane's Addiction, great drummer, Ringo Starr, and of course, Roger Taylor of Queen. Taylor's first album as a foo was There Is Nothing Left to Lose, which was released on November 2nd, 1999. There are 11 songs on the album, and Taylor is a co-writer of all of them. When David Letterman returned to TV after heart surgery, the band he wanted on that first show back on February 21st, 2000, was the Foo Fighters. A good example of the kind of game Taylor Hawkins brought to the Foo Fighters. Back with more of his story in just a sec. Just to show you how special a place Taylor Hawkins had within the Foo Fighters, he is the only guy other than Dave Grohl to sing lead on a Foo's song. We already heard him rip through the Foo's cover of Have a Cigar, but there were more examples in the years to come. Here's one from the In Your Honor album from 2005. The song is Cold Day in the Sun and was eventually released as a single. Okay, so it wasn't a standalone single. It's what's known as a double A-side. Two songs released at the same time, 
both with equal emphasis. Radio stations were encouraged to play both. In this case, the other song was No Way Back. Cold Day in the Sun features a switch up. It's Taylor on vocals and Dave on drums. And Taylor also wrote the lyrics. You're so afraid that you are the only one. You are the only one. You know. Taylor got a couple of other chances to sing lead with the Foos. When the band covered I Feel Fine from Cream, it was Taylor up front. There was a cover of a Joe Walsh song entitled Life of Illusion. And if you go to the 2017 album Concrete and Gold, there's a song entitled Sunday Rain, featuring a lead vocal from Taylor. When Dave was off doing other things, Taylor kept busy with a variety of outside projects. The first came in 2006 when he formed a band called Taylor Hawkins and the Coattail Riders. And that name tells you everything about his sense of humor and humbleness. His bandmates included some crack session musicians who could handle everything from jazz to Christian music. There were three Coattail Riders albums. This is a track from the second one, Red Light Fever, which was recorded at the Foo Studio and released in 2010. It's called Way Down. Over the course of the three Coattail Riders albums, Taylor was joined by his hero, Roger Taylor from Queen. His bandmate, Brian May, also showed up. So did Nancy Wilson of Heart, Joe Walsh of the Eagles, Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders, even country star Leanne Rimes. And like his boss and friend, Taylor was always willing to help out other bands. He performed on a Coheed and Cambria album and even toured with them a bit. Eric Avery, who played bass in Jane's Edition, recorded a solo album entitled Help Wanted. That's Taylor playing drums. When fellow Foo Fighter Chris Shifflett wanted to record a solo album under the name Jackson United, who was playing drums? Taylor Hawkins. He also showed up in records by Slash, Ozzy Osbourne, and Elton John. And get this, he was commissioned to complete an unfinished recording left behind by Beach Boy Dennis Wilson called Holy Man. Wilson drowned in a diving accident back in 1983. Taylor added some music, wrote some new lyrics, sang the song, and he was backed up by Roger Taylor and Brian May. The song appeared as a record store release in 2019. That's actually pretty sweet and deserves to be heard more. Taylor Hawkins, along with Roger Taylor and Brian May of Queen, finishing up a song written decades ago by Dennis Wilson of the Beach Boys. Still more on Taylor coming up. Here are a few more things about Taylor Hawkins we need to talk about. In addition to the Coattail Riders, there was SOS All-Stars. This was a one-off drummers group put together for the Live Earth Show in London in 2007. He was joined by Roger Taylor, of course, and Chad Smith of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. In 2014, he formed a side project called The Birds of Satan, a very prog rock sort of band that introduced itself with a 10-minute epic song entitled 
The Ballad of the Birds of Satan. That record also featured appearances by Dave, Pat Smear, and Foo's keyboardist, Rami Jaffe. His most recent project was called NHC. Taylor was the H in those initials, of course. The N was Dave Navarro of Jane's Addiction. And the C comes from Chris Cheney, also of Jane's Addiction. Taylor said that this band landed somewhere between Rush and the Faces. Here's a sample of them. This is called Feed the Cruel. Does it feel the same? Memories play games. All your guilty pleasures lead the path to the insane. Released in early 2022, that's Taylor Hawkins and NHC, his Foo Fighters side project, with Feed the Cruel. Okay, here's the part when we must talk about how Taylor left us. The Foo Fighters were touring South America and were about to perform at the Estereo Picnic in Bogota, Colombia on Friday, March 25th, 2022. An ambulance was called to the Four Seasons Casa Medina that evening. A guest was reported to be having severe chest pains. A private doctor tried to help, but he couldn't do anything. And by the time the EMS crew arrived, Taylor was already gone. A cache of drugs was found. A preliminary toxicology report said that there were 10 different substances in Taylor's system, ranging from weed and opioids to antidepressants. Now, a lot of those would have been prescription medicines. Let's keep that in mind. The early report also said that Taylor's heart was enlarged. At 600 grams, it was twice the size of a normal heart for a person of his size and age. An enlarged heart isn't a disease unto itself. Instead, it's a symptom of some other condition, ranging from high blood pressure to coronary artery disease to thyroid disorders. It might have even been a congenital thing. We don't know. And it's usually very treatable. But if it's not treated, it could also lead to heart failure, blood clots, and even sudden cardiac arrest when the heartbeat is fatally disrupted. Now, it is true that Taylor once did like his drugs. He ingested some heroin at a party in London back in 2001 and landed in a coma for two weeks. Dave Grohl sat with him the entire time. Taylor said that incident scared him straight, but he never did really elaborate on his sobriety. He has, however, spoken out about drug use. Let me leave you with this quote from Taylor. This is from the interview I did with the band at 606 Studios in 2014. I've seen you guys, I don't know how many times, and there has never been a time where I've looked at you and thought to myself, there are five guys on stage having more fun (laughs) than anybody should ever be allowed to have. I mean, the joy that comes off the stage from you guys at every single gig about, isn't this great? Isn't this awesome what we get to do for a living? It's unbelievable. Why shouldn't it be? Well, <laughs> it's a pretty good way I mean, to make a yeah, living. F- we get paid tons of money to go play rock and roll. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is that a bummer? No, it's Just not. Just break it down, Hawkins. <laughs> Hawkins broke it down. <laughs> That's the simplest, simplest terms. I mean, there's all sorts of little <laughs> things happening all the time, but basically when you come down to it, yeah, we're, we're really lucky. It's 
awfully soon to ask this question, but we're all thinking it. What do the Foo Fighters do now? We don't know. The Foo Fighters have canceled all their shows for the rest of 2022. There'll be a period of healing and grieving and reorganizing. And then we'll see. Let's be very clear. Taylor Hawkins will never be replaced in the Foo Fighters. Impossible. The chemistry and the friendship he brought to the group was essential to the family nature of the Foos. How does Dave Grohl soldier on without his best friend? I mean, it's shades of Kurt all over again. In fact, it might be even worse because Dave wasn't really close to Kurt. He was just a guy in his band. He was really, really close to Taylor. And it's not just Dave. Pat Smear was a touring guitarist with Nirvana when Kurt died. And before that, he was in The Germs. And the day before John Lennon was shot in 1980, singer Darby Crash died of a heroin overdose. So this is the third time Pat Smear has gone through something like this. How does Dave, Pat, and the rest of the band step on stage and not feel Taylor's presence lurking behind them? Or will they just have to suck it up and keep going? There were two ways of looking at this. First, there's the human element. Okay, sure, Dave can find someone to keep time for the band, but he'll never, ever have that same Lennon-McCartney, Keith-Mick, Laurel and Hardy relationship he had with Taylor. Taylor also had a special relationship with the fans. They loved him. Comparisons are being drawn with Led Zeppelin. When John Bonham died on September 25th, 1980, there was no question that the band was done. Without Bonzo, there was no Led Zeppelin, so the group folded. Another comparison is with Rush. Now, the group had already retired when Neil Peart died, but his death put an end to any possible talk of a reunion. And imagine being the person selected to be the next Foo Fighters drummer. The pressure would be insane. Who could handle that? There's only one guy I can think of. He's already in the band, plays drums, knows the songs pretty well. But we also have to look at this from a business point of view. The Foo Fighters are a multi-million dollar machine, a corporation that employs dozens of people and has commitments for tours and appearances and albums. Dave is not a quitter. Dave is not the kind of guy who can sit still. And he knows he has responsibilities that involve many other people. He's going to have to consider the case of the Rolling Stones. Charlie Watts was a founding member of the band. He'd been with the group since 1962. When he died in 2021, it took a couple of weeks for Steve Jordan to be drafted into his spot. There were gigs to be played. So, Do the Foos continue in Taylor's honor? Or do they honor him by saying that there are no Foo Fighters without him? At some point, there will be a very, very tough band meeting that will determine the future of so many people and so much music. There are hundreds of ongoing history podcasts available on all the podcast platforms. Feel free to download as many as you want. That's encouraged. We can also connect on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And all email will be answered if sent to alan at alancross.ca. Thanks to Gilles LeBlanc for some research help. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts. (laughs) 